One of my favorite figures in history is a man by the name of Jackie Robinson. Many of you will know Jackie Robinson, Georgia native, grew up in Cairo, Georgia. Yes, it is Cairo. If you're not from around here, Cairo is in Egypt. Cairo is in South Georgia. Um, And he grew up in Cairo, Georgia, and he became what we know as the first African-American man to make it into Major League Baseball. Now, Today, we look at that and think, well, you know, is that really that big of a deal? I mean, some of our favorite players are are black. If it had not been for Jackie Robinson in 1947, on April the 15th, stepping foot on the field for the Brooklyn Dodgers, we would not know many of the greatest players that we have seen don Major League uniforms. Men like Willie Mays. Men like King Griffey Jr. That's my favorite. Guys like Andrew Jones, Ronald Acuna Jr. Come on, Brace fans. These are, these are Aussie Obbies. These men that we know and we celebrate, some of the greatest players to have ever played. It all started with a man who grew up in a little bit different world than 2019 America. See, in 1919, when Jackie Robinson was born... There was no hope, there was no desire for major league teams to bring black players into their ranks. After all, we had the Negro Leagues. Guys like Satchel Paige, who is probably the greatest baseball player to ever play, but we couldn't match him against the greats like Babe Ruth and others because he wasn't allowed. But Jackie Robinson saw an opportunity And the Brooklyn Dodgers saw an opportunity as well to elevate one of the greatest players of the 1940s to the major league ranks. And he overcame so many obstacles, so many odds. See, we don't really think of it as overcoming now, right? But I want you to think for me just a second, with me just for a second. Here's a man who had tremendous skill but did not know if he would be booed or applauded. Did not know if he would be accepted by others within his own clubhouse, his own dugout. What would the other players on the team think? What about the second baseman that got booted before Jackie Robinson to have a roster spot? There are all of these questions and we look at it, we think, man, wow, what, what, what a great story, right? But see, this is real life where there are difficult things in front of us that we are called to overcome each and every day. And because of this man's ability and because he saw the opportunity to overcome this racial barrier, we as brave friends get to celebrate Hank Aaron, right? Hammering Hank. 700, call me a purist, but Hank, Hank Aaron is the number one home run hitter of all time. I do not acknowledge Barry Bonds because Barry Bonds had a little extra help that was not quite legit, all right? Hammer and Hank. Overcoming, stepping out against the odds, doing something different, seeing something and having victory. And I believe that today we as Christians need to look at our life and our faith as an opportunity to overcome something that is out there. And John says it this way in John, 1 John chapter 5. If you've got your place in scripture, read along with me as we read verses 1 to 5 together. 
Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child that is born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and we observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's pray together. (coughs) Father, I thank you that you have given us something incredible. Lord, I confess to you that too often we take our salvation, we take the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, the freedom we have because of Christ Jesus, we take it for granted. We... we, we Tuck it away in in our billfold or tuck it away in, in our closet. Pull it out when we need it. And sometimes, kind of like a library card, don't use it. But God, you've given us something so much more. And Father, so I ask you to forgive us collectively today for walking around in defeat when you've given us victory. I ask you, Father, to forgive us today for walking around the same way everybody else does when you gave us something bigger and better and something that would always fulfill. So God, I ask that you would take your word and transform my heart, transform the heart of our hearers here today, those that will watch online, those that will get an audio CD this week. Continue to transform our hearts. Continue to make us new because of who you are and because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. And we ask this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, the dead but resurrected and risen King who is on high, Jesus Christ. Amen. I said something in my prayer just a second ago. I want to make sure that that I don't gloss over. Because... I believe sometimes as Christians, we get caught up in our Christian world. We have Christian friends, we go to Christian uh, concerts, we have Christian CDs, we got Christian radio stations, we got Christian books, we got Christian t-shirts, we got Christian bracelets, we got Christian Chick-fil-A, we got everything as Christian, right? We, we, we get caught in this, this, this bubble because we believe, and it's true, the Bible teaches us that when we have come to faith in Christ Jesus... When we say, yes, I know I am a sinner, I know my only hope is the death and resurrection of Christ, we know and we believe that that seals us for eternity. We, we call it once saved, always saved, perseverance of the saints. But I don't want us to forget that salvation is also a process. 
We are legitimately one time justified for our, from our sin, but that does not remove the tendency to run to sin from us. And so we need to continue to have the gospel poured into our hearts, poured into our lives, so that we continue to see what this process does as we're made more and more and more like Christ. You have been saved and you are still being saved. We haven't made it. Believe me, you don't make it in this life. It doesn't matter if you sit up on a high hill in Tibet and go, mm, all day long. And center yourself. It doesn't matter how many yoga classes you take. It doesn't matter how much money is in your wallet or your bank account. It doesn't matter how full your closet is. It doesn't matter how much food you have. It doesn't matter how many friends you have. All of that is to the side. Because there is no point in this life that we make it, that we arrive, that we have everything. We have the fullness of Christ dwelling in us, making us new so that one day we get to that third wonderful stage of salvation the Bible talks about called glorification. When we are removed from the presence of sin and we are in the presence of Almighty God for all time. That's when we have fully overcome everything. But what John tells us in this passage is that there is something innate to the life of the believer. Something that is new to us that the world doesn't have that gives us the ability to live in that victory even now. And it starts with the understanding that your natural birth and my natural birth is not sufficient to honor God. Just because you are human does not mean that you are sufficient in and of yourself to honor God. Look at what he says in this passage of scripture. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now that is a very particular phrase. It is a very unique phrase. It is a phrase that we find on the lips of Jesus Christ in John chapter 3. Man, you know John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Well, that's great. That's a wonderful verse. I hope that all of us have it memorized and all of us can repeat it um, ad nauseum as long as we need to. But why would John insert that in his gospel? If you've got your, hold your place there and go over to John chapter 3 for just a little bit. We're going to camp out in John chapter 3. We're going to talk about a guy named Nicodemus. Everybody say it with me. Nicodemus. So when you go home and you're sitting over lunch, what did you learn about church today? Nicodemus. We learned about Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a good man. Nicodemus was a church man. Nicodemus, man, he was there every time the temple was open. Man, he even taught a couple of Sabbath school classes. Can't call it Sunday school because they didn't meet on Sunday. They met on Saturday. But he, he had Sabbath school classes. He was a teacher. He was one that everybody was like, man, Nicodemus, you are good. And he comes to Jesus by night. Because Jesus was teaching the word of God in a way that was not normal for most of the Jews. So Nicodemus comes to, comes to Jesus at night because he knew that his association with Jesus might put him on the fringe of the popular crowd there inside the local temple. We could preach that in church, but that's another sermon for another Sunday. We'll come back to that one. And he asked Jesus this question. He says in verse 2 of chapter 3, We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs unless, uh, that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want, you to, I want you to think about what Jesus has just told Nicodemus for just a second. You think you recognize me as a good teacher, but you can't truly see what I'm about unless God gives you something bigger, better than, than what you already have. Unless God rebirths you. Unless God transforms you. Unless you have a heart and an ability to actually honor God. Yeah, you can hear what I say, but you don't know what I mean unless God does something in your life. Because who you are as a natural person is not enough. And then Nicodemus, I mean, Nicodemus isn't a dumb guy. I mean, he's listening to these words. He says, okay, unless you are born again well, well how can a man be born when he is old now i don't know how old nicodemus is some new testament scholars think that nicodemus was probably in his 60s uh, some think that he might have been a little bit younger closer to the age of 40 but it's safe to believe that nicodemus was probably married with children right not, not the TV show, but that he was probably a married guy and had some of his own children. And so, you know, he understands biology a little bit. He understands how babies are made, where babies come from. So he asked the question, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again, can he? He's asking a natural biological question because this is a novel idea. This is something different. This ran, ran countercultural for his, for his day. And you know what? It runs against the grain of culture for our day. Because the world around you is going to tell you, oh, you're enough. Just believe in yourself. Deep, look deep down within and there in the center of who you are, you will find all the answers. That is Eastern religion. That is false teaching. That is wrong. You can be a smart person. You can be a nice person. You can walk little old ladies across the street. You can do all these great things. But inside of you is nothing but the rottenness of sin. Unless you're born again. Unless you're transformed. And it has nothing to do with biology. See, see he hears the, he hears the phrase, born again. I understand biology. I'm bigger than my mama was. I, I can't go back and be born again. That just is impossible. He's not asking a dumb question. He's asking Jesus, please explain to me what you mean by being born again. Ladies and gentlemen, the world around us sees us doing a lot of things. And we throw these phrases out there and they're asking us more than anything. Please just explain to me what you mean by this. What do you mean by get saved? What do you mean by be born again? What do you mean by invite Jesus to live in my heart? What do you mean by having a personal Lord and Savior? All of these questions, all these phrases that we throw out there, we're talking to a culture that doesn't understand because their natural birth is not sufficient. And so we go back to 1 John. And he tells us, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. How does that happen? As we learned last week, we saw that we don't get there unless the Holy Spirit's active in our life. The Holy Spirit's the one that brings to us this understanding that there's a Savior that I need. So it's when we're born again, this spiritual birth gives us or produces within us a new heart. He says there in this passage. He says that by this, 
we know that we've been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome to us. This heart operates a little bit different. If you were to follow modern, I say modern, we talked about this in our Sunday school class this morning, there's nothing new under the sun. All the lies that are out there in the world today, guess what? They've been around since Adam and Eve were in the garden. There's nothing new under the sun. Satan is not an original artist. He's been playing the same cover tune for thousands of years. He might put a hip-hop beat to it. He might put a country beat to it. He might take all the music off of it. But you know what? At the very core of who he is, he was singing the same song on repeat into your heart and into my heart each and every time. And, and what the Word of God says is this new heart that you and I have does not operate that way because the heart of people, if we follow popular culture and, and, and popular, if we start to just follow our hearts, we, can I just be real with you for a second? We can talk all we want to about the mess in society, the sexual revolution, we, we, we can talk about whether or not there should be same-sex marriage. We can talk about whether or not, you know, the next, thing, oh, the, the next big thing is going to be multiple marriages and all of these things that we want to throw out there as, 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 as opportunities. You really don't want to know what it comes down to? It comes down to the lie that if you just follow your heart, you will find happiness. That's, that's the lie. If you just follow your heart, you will find happiness. We teach it to our kids by putting them in front of Disney movies that you just follow your heart. Let me just, I, I like Disney movies, so I'm talking to myself here. But you ever watch The Little Mermaid? I mean, we got little girls that grow up loving this Ariel character who all she does is just, you know, absolutely defy her parents in the name of love retorts against her dad and just says you know what daddy no I'm gonna do what I want I'm gonna follow my heart right that's that's what we put uh, Beauty and the Beast what probably one of my favorite Disney movies Beauty and the Beast not because of the love story I like Gaston to be honest with you I like Gaston huh, no one fights like Gaston yeah Beauty and the Beast stay in an abusive relationship eventually he'll change and become Prince Charming Right? I mean, sorry to ruin your childhood. I'm so sorry. But all of this stems from the lie that we put in our heart that if we just follow our heart, we'll be okay. But when we're born again, we get a new heart, a heart that can be trusted. The Bible tells us the heart is deceitful and deceptively sick. What you're going to find in your heart are all of the crass desires that we want to shame in public, but they're already there. Jesus says, it's not what is outside that defiles you. It's what's already inside. For out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. You didn't cuss that guy on the interstate because he, because he cut you off. You cussed that guy on the interstate because it was already in your heart. 
You weren't angry at the last election because Donald Trump won or because whoever your favorite candidate didn't win. It was because it was in your heart that you were going to trust politics over the Savior. You weren't filled with joy because a Republican won the governor or presidential election. You, want, you were overjoyed because your heart was already trusting that to be the Savior. That's the way the world operates. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity offender, okay? I've told you before, I will tell you again. I am politically apathetic. I think they're both broken. I think they're both wrong. And we should probably start over completely. Because all elections do is bring out the worst in everyone. And the church is guilty. I've seen your Facebook. I've seen your Twitter. Okay? I don't care if you are Democrat Republican, if you're independent, Green Party, whatever that is, I don't care. We need to be involved in being influencers in society, but not through political means, but through spiritual opportunities to transform society. Because the natural birth is not sufficient. He says here, we will get a new heart. But what will this new heart do? This new heart will abound with love for the family of God. I know you're here this morning. Thank you for being at church this morning. This is not a statement to you. But it's something for you to take home to your friends, your family, whoever's not at church this morning. If they're sick, I'll give them a pass. But you know too many people, I know too many people, oh, I can be a Christian and not have to do anything with the church. Oh, I can be a Christian and just go a couple of times a year. No, it's not about the religious service, it's about my love for God, right? Well, look at what he says. By this... We will know that we love the children of God when we observe God and obey, excuse me, love God and observe his commandments. Wait a second, what? Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. There is something spiritually wrong with a Christian who does not love being in the company of other believers. Oh, I know, we're all hypocrites. Guess what? Yeah, we are. I am not sinless. And I am aware of that each and every day when I wake up. Every day. The thought that crosses my mind. And I have to go straight to the Lord and say, please remove that. that that's not what's supposed to be in my mind or in my heart. I want to honor you. Every single day. And you say, well, it's just a thought. It's not simple. If, if it's in your mind, it's because it's in your heart. This heart will continue to deceive you. It will continue to turn you away from the truth of who God is in Christ Jesus. So yeah, church is full of hypocrites. I know church people can be annoying. I get it. Not y'all. Other church people outside. <laughs> church people are always just so happy. They're not real. No. If we're authentic with one another. I've been hurt by the church. Yeah, I have too. 
probably, probably my deepest wounds as a person, as a man, have come from the church. Honestly, not this church. Okay? I, I know I make jokes about, you know, not y'all. Yeah. Seriously, not this church. Thank you. <laughs> I'm watching. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. What do we do with that? What do we do when some of our deepest wounds, our deepest disappointments actually come from within the, within the walls? It'd be easier for me to say, just get over it. I'm going to say, no, take it to the cross. Seek to redeem it. You ever tasted bad milk? Anybody? Anybody pour that glass of milk and you start to drink like, ooh. Didn't keep you from drinking milk the next time, did it? Anybody been in a car accident? Didn't keep you from driving again. Anybody had a bad experience at a restaurant? You still eat there, don't you? Anybody have food poisoning? Some of y'all eating good, I can tell. We always throw that out for the church because it's in our heart that if the church doesn't meet my demands and my needs, then it's about me. But what the gospel does is gives us a heart that says, you know what, I'm going to love the family of God. And they may hurt me, they may, they may disappoint me, but I'm still going to love the family of God because I am part of this family. Because I've been born above from above. I've been born anew. I've got something big or something. And guess what? All of this swims against the current of Culture. Culture says, you know, if it hurts you, leave it alone. If, if it disappoints you, throw it off. Did your football team lose yesterday? You're going to cheer for them again next Saturday if they did, aren't you? Unless they're off. If your team lost yesterday and you're off next Saturday, guess what? You won't lose next Saturday. Now, I love the Braves. I love them. I'm ready for them to win a game after the regular season. Oh, they did win that one. I love them. I still am mad because they let the Cardinals just get on base and go around the merry-go-round to the bases over and over and over and over. Until finally somebody pulled the plug on the machine. I remember that Wednesday night. I was teaching the youth and I was like, just please mercy rule the game. Just call it after the first inning. Let's just go home. Still going to cheer for them next year. Your disappointment in the family of God has more to do with you than it does the family of God. It's what's in your heart. And we find that as God's children, obedience is a joy. Look at what he says here. He says in this passage of scripture, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not burdensome. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't pull out the hammock for you. He doesn't make this little nice little nap nap for you to get some, get some good R&R, &R, right? He says, take on my yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. A yoke is a work tool. That means that there is work to be done if you're under the authority of Christ. But it becomes a joy. It's not a burden. It's a joy because what you're doing is you're filling yourself with the love of God, the love that you have for God. And this is what the new birth does in you. So here's the deal. This is just a little self-diagnosis here, all right? Is coming to church, 
is tithing, is reading the Bible, is praying, is that a burden? Is, is it, does it feel like a shackle on your, on your heart, a shackle on your, on your leg that just has, has you tied down and there's no freedom? Is there joy in your experience with other Christians and other believers? And the reason I'm asking these questions is because it could be that it indicates that you are not truly a child of God. You've gone through the motions. Man, I've got an Andrew Jones jersey. That doesn't make me a Braves player. I, 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 can, go through, I can go through all of the motions. A couple of years ago, Braden, our, our, our oldest son, asked for... Um, a Clemson football uniform thing. You get it for like 50 bucks from like Dick's Sporting Goods or whatever. Has the helmet, has the shirt, has the pants. He even asked for real shoulder pads. Man, he could put that thing on. It doesn't make him a football player. Some of you have the helmet and the pads on and you're wondering why you're not getting put into the game. It's because you're sitting there in the stands ready to go and you're not actually on the field because you're not part of the family of God. And all of these things are a burden and all of these things are, are joyless because you have put on everything except for Christ. He didn't say put on a WWJD bracelet. He didn't say put on a Jesus t-shirt. He didn't even say go to church. He said take up your cross and follow me because you've got to be born Again. But then he goes on and says that in Christ, I have the ability to overcome. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what difficulty lies ahead of you. I don't know if it's health related. I don't know what. But here's what happens. He says this in this passage. He says, for whoever is born of God overcomes the world. All right. How are you born of God? You're in Christ Jesus, right? You have placed your faith and trust in him. So you are covered by the blood of Christ. You are covered by the righteousness of Christ. What he has done has taken over and you have submitted yourself through being born again, through being born anew, through the Holy Spirit filling your life, filling your heart, transforming you, giving you eyes to see. Remember Jesus said, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can hear about it, but you can't see it. You won't understand it. You won't comprehend it. Okay, so I'm in the kingdom of God. Now you have, according to this passage of scripture, the ability to overcome. Because he says, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Who's ready for a little victory in their life? Who, who's, who's tired of living in defeat? Hanging your head, tucking your tail, and kind of moping through like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh. Too often, we who have victory and who have been guaranteed the ability to overcome, we just kind of mope through. We just kind of go through the motions. Okay, all right. It's another day. And I know life can be hard. I know life can be difficult. And I'm not saying that you come and you give your faith to Christ and all of a sudden your bank's going to be full, your house is going to be full, and all these things are going to... It could be difficult, but you have the ability to overcome because it's not about the physical life. It's about who we are in Christ Jesus. Look at what he goes on to say. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Your faith in Christ Jesus is your assurance that you truly have victory. 
Everything that this world tries to taint and tries to take away and tries to break, Christ Jesus has redeemed. He has taken your heart. He has taken your soul. He has seated you in the heavenly places and your faith in him is our assurance of victory. So how do you overcome? See, Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, you know what? I'm telling you these things because in the world where you live right now, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, chin up, put on your big boy pants. I have overcome the world. You want victory, it comes in Christ. We sing victory in Jesus, right? Victory in Jesus, victory because of Jesus, victory through Jesus. Well, well, how does that play out? What does that look like? How do I overcome through faith? And there are a ton of areas I could touch on. But I'm going to give you, I'm gonna give you um, six, just, just real quick, real quick. Through faith, you can overcome in your relationships. How? See, we live in a world that tells us that we are to love things and use people. We, 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 we have a world around us that teaches us to value all the stuff that's in our lives and not put personal priority on the people that are around us. So we tend to use people. We go through life and, 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 and this is just the human condition. This is who we are as people. We're gonna come back to faith in just a second. If I can't get ahead because of you, I'm going to have little or nothing to do with you. And so we put people in our circle that, we're gonna, that are going to prop us up, that are going to give us a leg ahead, that are going to help us succeed. But then the problem is, once their uselessness runs out, then we just move on and we don't have anything to do with them. But see, we are created to be relational people, to build one another up. So through faith, what we start looking at is, you know what? My relationships are not opportunities to serve me, but to serve others. My relationships are opportunities for me to pour into someone else, to lift them up, to press them on, to help them grow, to help them be strengthened. And you know what? Through Christ Jesus, you're going to be strengthened in that process. Can I just, just, just real, real with you as a pastor? Some of the most draining times I have had as a pastor in pouring into other people, the only thing I can explain was that Christ Jesus was continuing to strengthen me because I never felt ran out or depleted. And, and, and it was such a cool experience, and I've had that experience several times, where the things that should just make you run on empty and run on fumes and feel like you're going to hit a wall and crash... Because of the way we approach it as Christians, which is different than the world around us, our strength comes from him. That's the full context of I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not, oh, I can go make an A on that math test that I didn't study for through Christ who gives me strength. It is, I can continue to push others towards Christ's likeness even if I don't have it within myself because I'm being filled by him because our relationships are transformed. Not only are our relationships transformed, this actually has an opportunity through our sexuality. And I'm not even talking at this point between the, uh, whether or not you are, are, are gay or straight or, or, or transgender. Uh, th- these are areas that we've got to address biblically as a church and how we reach communities and reach people that have gone through some brokenness. But we live in such a hyper-sexualized culture that unless we exhibit ourselves in certain ways, then we are not living up to the standard around us. 
And so what we have is this current that runs into the church from the world around us that certain sexual prowess must be celebrated. Certain sexual bravado must be upheld. And I've seen it in churches. The reason, we have, uh, uh, the reason we have a church to movement under the Me Too umbrella is because that idea has been propped up even within the walls of the community of faith. You heard me talk last year when all the news and everything started coming up about Southern Baptist Church after Southern Baptist Church after Southern Baptist Church. Over 700 indicted on mishandling sexual abuse cases. We rise above and we overcome through faith by harnessing the gift that God has given us in our sexual being but through the channel of uh, the one man, one woman relationship in marriage till death do us part, the way that we have uh, given to us in scripture. But here's the deal. Just because brokenness happened in your past does not mean it has to continue in your future. We overcome the brokenness of the past through our faith that Christ has redeemed our past and is propelling us into the future. That is different than the way the world looks at it. It's different. If you were made a Cadillac, you'll always be a Cadillac. No matter how many, how many post-market rims and lights and fins and everything you put on, you're always going to be a Cadillac. That's the way the world looks at it. That God can take your Cadillac and make it into a BMW. He can make it into a Pinto. Transformed into something new. Third, in our work. In your work. The Bible speaks a lot about working hard. Paul even goes as far as to say, you know what? If you're not willing to work, then you're not going to eat. That's, that's in the Bible. Look it up. But the Bible never says in our six-day work week that was given to us at creation, six days the Lord worked and on the seventh he rested. It was never a work your nubs off to where you have nothing left to show in life. See, one of the more unfortunate things that happens in the way we look at work is not new. Over in the Old Testament, the book of Haggai chapter 1, most of you don't even know where Haggai is, but it's, it's right here. It's on page 789. This is, the, this is the word of God through Haggai the prophet. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much, but you harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm. Here we go. He who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. You feel that way? You're continuing to work and work and work and it's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. So I got to get this job to get this far ahead. It's got to get this. But what the gospel does, our faith puts out there is, you know what? We honor God in our finances. We honor God in our approach to work. We honor God in everything so that when we do so, there is something to reap. When we do earn, it does not go into that pit, into that purse with no holes. And too many of us are trying to live at a higher standard 
And so we're working ourselves crazy when the gospel has pulled us into a position where we work so that we can enjoy life and influence others. Whether it's in our home, in our church, in our community. Some of us work too much that we don't actually have time for God. We get up in the morning, it's all about get out the door to get to work and we're there and we work 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 and we come home and we're too tired and we might throw that Hail Mary prayer as we're driving, Lord, get me to work safely so I can uh, make the money. The gospel transforms our approach to work and pulling us back to where we can say, you know what? I'm working as to the Lord. I'm working to honor him with the abilities that he has given me so that I can be useful in his kingdom. The fourth is in our finances. See, the world tells you that everything you earn is yours, you have a right to it, and this is what the, the gospel says. You know what? Actually, no. Everything you earn is already God's, he's loaning it to you. And most of us feel like we can't get ahead financially because we've not honored the giver in our finances. Like, what do you mean, Evan? The gospel is not about a bunch of rules. I just want you to know that. But the gospel does bring us under the authority of one who has actually laid out some rules. Not to be a burden, but to help us to honor him in all things. And one of the things the Bible speaks about is what we call the tithe. And believe it or not, there are actually some pastors out there that will tell you that tithing is not biblical. They are fools. For a lot of reasons, but most importantly because the Bible does speak about the tithe, the tenth. Honoring God with the first fruits. Giving to God what is directly His. And you know what? The whole 100% is His. Can I be real with you for a second? God doesn't need your money. If, if the cattle on a thousand hills, if everything that's created is actually his, what's your paycheck really going to mean to him? It's not that God needs your money. It's that God is seeking to see that you actually honor him with everything. And so in our finances, it starts with the tithe. But it's not just as simple as saying, you know what, I'm going to put my 10% in the plate and I'm good to go. What are you doing with the rest of it? The other 90%. How much of it is going to vain endeavors? That whole work thing. We work these jobs. We're doing all this so that we can live at this standard when really we only need to be at this standard of living. We want to be able to take, you know, four vacations a year and we want to be able to drive this kind of car. We want to be able to live in this kind of neighborhood and pay this kind of HOA fee. We want to be able to have this. We want to be able to do this. But realistically, what we need is, is, is here then we're not honoring God in our work or in our finances because we're pouring everything more towards something that is beyond who we were created to be. But the world's gonna tell you, you've gotta live in that neighborhood. You've gotta drive that car. You've gotta wear that kind of shirt. Your kids gotta go to this kind of school. The world's gonna tell you all of these things. But through faith, what we say is, you know what, God, you've given us everything. We have everything that we absolutely need. I don't have to have that. I might want it, but you know what? You've given me something, so I'm satisfied in you. I'm fulfilled in you. My faith has helped me overcome the way the world sees this whole financial situation. Can I be real with you for a second? Wall Street's not going to fix your finances. And, and, and realistically, 
I don't know why God has not thrown another financial crisis on us like what happened in the Great Depression. When, when we as a culture, when we as a, a, as a people have valued money and money and money and money and money and money and stuff. What's going to devastate you more? Just real question. And this, is, this comes back to faith. What's going to devastate you more? The church fail or Wall Street fail? That's a real question. What's going to de- devastate you more? That your, that your bank account run dry or that the church of Jesus Christ in America gets forced underground and there is no outstretched pouring of the gospel on a day, weekly basis like what we're able to do now. That kind of points us to where our, our, our victory, we're trying to find it. The, the fifth one is in our mind. Ooh, man. How much doubt do you have because of what's in your mind? Your doubt of your faith, your doubt of who you are, what God has done in your life. See, if you're in Christ Jesus, you have this new resident right here in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. It says in the book of Ephesians that that Christ dwells there by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if this is the territory of your Savior, Satan cannot get your heart. He'll try. He'll try to put everything else there in your heart. So what does he do? He goes to your mind. I know, out of the overflow of the heart does the mouth speak. And it seems like if it's in the heart, it's got to come through the mind and get out of the mouth. And so that's where Satan's playground is. He starts playing, playing with your mind. He starts bringing in doubt. But you have overcome by your faith. You are not who the world says you are. You are who Christ Jesus has said you are. You are his child. You are a person of victory. It doesn't matter what your failure was before. You think, man, how how do I have victory if I have all this failure? You have victory because he won it. It was his victory that he shared with you. So put that in your mind. It says in the Bible, it says, take every thought captive and submit it to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we like to think of that as, you know, the, 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 the big thoughts, like the angry thoughts, the lustful thoughts, the greedy thoughts. Man, even the self-worth thoughts, even the prideful thoughts, the I am the greatest thoughts. No, no, submit it all to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. And then the last one I wanna give you is in my religion. You think, man, how does faith, why, why would we need to overcome religion? Remember Nicodemus? We talked about him a little while ago. And if there was a religious guy, it was Nicodemus. He, man, he was probably, he was probably, um, he, he was probably like deacon of the week. See, here at our church, deacon of the week gets the, uh, the wonderful opportunity to be the first one here to help open up and unlock the doors and the last one to leave to lock all the doors. Man, he was probably deacon of the week, man. He was probably unlocking the temple on his rotation. He was probably locking it up. Man, he was there. He was a religious guy. And then was Paul. Paul, man, good grief. All the things you can tell you about Paul. Pharisee of Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin, man. He, he lists them all out for you in Philippians chapter three. In other words, he was like, if you want a religious guy, I was the poster child. I was the, I was the, I was the cereal box cover for that. If Wheaties had a spiritual version, a religious version, it was Paul. 
And this Nicodemus is there with Christ Jesus. And he says, we know you're a teacher of God. God has sent you. Because I've been in this temple all these years and I've never heard the amazing things that you're teaching right now, Jesus. So tell me what's going on. And Jesus' response was, you've got to be born again if you even want to see what God is about. You might have perfect attendance in Sunday school pens. You might have a good tithing record. You might even have your own little indention in the pew where you've sat every week faithfully, week after week after week. And if you're trusting in that pew, if you're trusting in that Sunday school class, if you're trusting in what you have given to the church to be enough, then you need to have your religion overcome by your faith in Christ Jesus. You might know every hymn that's in that hymn book or you might even know all the newest things by Hillsong by heart. And if you're trusting in those forms of religious practice, all you're doing is placing your trust in something different. And Satan is fine with you knowing hymn books. Satan is fine with you giving money to church. Satan is fine with you having a a perfect Sunday school record. What Satan is not fine with is you overcoming this religious practice with true unadulterated faith in Christ Jesus that says you know what it's going to be more than that because it's going to infiltrate my heart and press me out into the world because my religion is back here but my savior is there when you're born again you are an overcomer plain and simple he has given you the ability to overcome you can over be over overcome who you were naturally born with who God is making you right now. Do you trust him? Do you believe that he is the only savior you'll ever need? 